Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argeris, and this week, ladies and gentlemen, Litheads, I'm looking for the best book written by Terry Pratchett. No, okay. well, wait. Off to wait, a great just start. Just a second. Pratchett? Pratchett. Yep, that's better. <laughs> hey, let's just move on. You're going to learn something today, Nick. <laughs> Specifically, what that thing is, is how to re- re- pronounce this guy's name. I think we actually might have a misunderstanding here. Um, I am looking for the best book ever written by Terry Pratchett. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys bring a, the best Terry Pratchett books? Ooh, yeah. Shoot. I also brought the best Terry Pratchett I book. hate it when that happens. To help us navigate this blunder, uh, our two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. My and this is a blunder, folks. This is a okay. blunder. That's blunder. Not, it's not your turn to talk, Ian. Yeah, it is my turn. It's okay. Um, my name is Joe Holshue. <laughs> Another blunder. <laughs> Hi, my name is Joe Holshue. I'm a high school English teacher. And Nick, if you're looking for the best Terry Pratchett book, I brought mm. the book that started it all, The Color of Magic. Um, the Color of Magic is like a purplish sort of thing. Just, I know you're going to ask that. So I'm just going to say right now, it's purple, Nick. It's not purple. Uh, hey, Ian, read bring your book. own book. <laughs> You know what? They're, you're you're factually inaccurate, and I will call you on it. Hello, my name is Dr. Ian DeYoung. I am an English teacher of the high school variety. And today, Nick and Joe, if you're looking for the best book by Sir Terry Pratchett, mm. slash Nay Pratchett, <laughs> Damn. Uh, I, have, I have a book for you, which he co-authored with Neil Gaiman, called Good Omens, colon, mm. The Nice and Accurate Prophecies of Agnes Nutter, which... May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. I, I do like how how when you said witch at the end, it really did make me expect something else. But Agnes Nutter is, of course, a witch. That is her yes, profession. and this is great, you guys. I th- I really feel like we're tapping into the spirit of um, Sir Terry and Neil today because mm. that very joke where the end of the title is mistaken for the beginning of a, a further discussion of it. Mm-hmm. That very joke shows up in my book. So you guys are already on that kind of wavelength. Well done. Yeah. We're feeling the Terry Pratchett vibes. Oh, he's dead. Ter- oh, he's famously Big dead. Big fan of the Nick. show. Big fan, fan of, of the, the show. show. Terry. Famously dead. Oh, that's exciting. Famously dead. Uh, now, why would you say he's famously dead, no, Joe? N- well, okay. <laughs> so do you know how sometimes like you hear about a celebrity and you're like, I wonder if that celebrity's still alive and you Google it and, and maybe they are and maybe they aren't. Terry Pratchett had a very well publicized um, like kind of illness and death, and he became like an advocate for right to die. I, I've got a whole bunch of stuff about this. Maybe, maybe I should just go first. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, well, you guys both have the same author, so I'm thinking you both have a little bit of information to share on him. Um, but Joe's looking to get the, the leg up on his death story on you, Ian. Um, so yeah, I guess that's, be, I mean, be prepared to We always know that. the winner is the one who has the best death story. That's true. I also have a game that like compares Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, but but whatever. I mean, it's up to you, Nick. You're really giving it all away here, Joe. Um, <laughs> you slut. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so um, great. 
Just another Nick. dead white guy we're talking about. Nick. What's that, Ian? Okay. Well, I'm just wondering. I wonder if, like, before we do anything, we could do mm. just a little, tiny little KWL, but mostly just K. What do mm. you know or think you know Oof. about Terry Pratchett? Nay, Pratchett. I mean, you think he's uh, white, so that's a <laughs> good You think start. he's alive. What do, what do you think you... What do you... Well, no, we, we did kind of spoil that one. Now Nick knows that he's dead. What do you know about this guy? What's your sense of him, if anything? Yeah, it is nothing. I have uh, the first page of Google staring me dead in the eye here, and uh, none of these books are ringing any bells. They seem extremely nerdy. They seem extremely <laughs> for for white middle class males, uh, ages twelve to maybe sixteen. The D generation. The D and D generation, <laughs> and this guy loved to wear a black hat and have a gray beard. For for the record, we don't know whether or not he loved to have a gray beard. That may have been his biggest misery. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. Was he born with it? Uh, he's dead. We can't ask him. It looks like he. Yeah, that's true. We can't. We'll never find out. Yeah. So that's what I know about him. Would you say that's pretty much wraps it up? Or you've covered like eighty percent of my notes. Hat, beard. Um. Did you talk about his glasses? Did you say something about glasses, Nick? He's got glasses. Oh, that's okay. Eighty-eight percent of my notes you have covered. Okay. Two percent. One percent for each eye. Well, that went that went amazingly well. I just I'm I'm delighted. Uh, well, welcome, Lit Heads. <laughs> you don't know Lit. Uh, weekly, or as we call it, a Strongly Podcast strongly here. Podcast. It's a stupid show. And um, <laughs> uh, where every week uh, we pick a theme uh, of great quality, and Ian and Joe uh, bring a book, and we pick mm. a winner. And of course, to keep us on track, we have some show rules, because we do have a winner today, and we need some rules to, to set the ground on, to put... Our rules, rules on to the set ground. the ground on. Right. Yeah. Need to set to put, the ground set on the ground rules. Ground rules, sky rules, wherever they may Earth, roam. wind, and fire rules, basically, is what they are. Book law. Uh, rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers today, please, gentlemen. Rule number two, omit needless words, Joe. It's Joe, yep. And, of course, rule number three, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. Um, our, our, our North star Vince Lombardi once said, <laughs> I mean, he, he shows up on every, on every episode in some form. And I just want to remind you He's guys of, of the, the shadow show. rules. This is the way the world ends. Uh, this is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. Mm, fantastic. Okay. Thank you, Ian. That was very helpful. So Joseph, do you want to take 30 seconds, please? And just tell me what your book is about. Yeah, I'm really nervous. This is longer than 30 seconds. The Color of Magic is the <laughs> book that made Terry Pratchett, Terry Pratchett. It launched him into stardom. And we kick off a series of 41 novels set in the parallel Jesus universe Christ. of Discworld. It's a disc-shaped world resting on the backs of four elephants who themselves stand on a turtle. And it's also a disc that you can like fall off the side of. Um, it has a failed wizard, a talking sword, gods that mess with humans, a murderous barbarians, and a Hawaiian shirt where no, I, I, there's a tourist with sentient luggage that like um, attacks people attacks. Yeah, no, I, I think I saw where you were going with that and it yeah. was just going to be more of the same types of things. So I thought I'd just cut it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's fine. Um, I, to, be, to be fair, I was like halfway through. <laughs> I, I, I didn't were. time it after writing it. Uh, so, um, that's, that's obnoxious. 41 books. 41, 41 books just in the Discworld series, like just in that yeah. series of novels, he wrote 41 books. That's let's just, be, let's be clear. It's not like he was yeah. writing for 50 years. The first one came out in 83 and then he died in what, 2017. So 
you know. Yeah. Yeah, he was right. He was right like two bucks a year. He was cranking them out. This is also what I know about Terry Pratchett. I, as you Google his name and you see all of his books that he's written. The names of some of these books, they, they're like Seinfeld movies. Do you, does that reference? Like if you write one book, you really care about the name. But by the This one's name book, is Mort. Yeah. Mort. 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 It's kind of a play. It's guards, a a guards. Mm-hmm. You just listed as. These are all spelled guards. wrong as well. There's a lot of spelling yeah. issues going on. Hey, Ian, <laughs> do, you want to, um, do you want to tell me what your book is about? Yes. And will I need the rest of, and just make sure to weave in if I'll need the rest of my life to dedicate to reading no. uh, the series. No, this is a one-off. Yeah. This is standard end of the world stuff. Antichrist, four horsemen of the apocalypse, <laughs> prophecies, nuclear Armageddon, angels, demons. Except in my book, the Antichrist is a pretty normal kid. The main angel and main demon are best friends, and the prophecies are more like time travel than clairvoyance. Today, I brought the magnificent Pratchett and Gaiman team-up, Good Omens, recently adapted into an award-winning miniseries with a second season upcoming on Amazon TV. Amazon? Amazon Video? Whatever we call. Amazon Studios. So, Joseph, yes. um, I, think, I think I'd like to have you go first. Nick, um, I think that. I'd like, I'd like to learn a little bit more about uh, TP, and I feel like you're going to have a lot of facts about him. Yes, Nick, I brought a game this week. This game is called Terry Fact Check, as you have already. Yes, um, yes, yes. <laughs> as you have already guessed. Very good name. I think one of my... Um, I've also <laughs> okay, brought well, in... <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think we did a great job, Ian, on that one. Yeah, amazing work, Nick. I also brought in some information about Neil Gaiman, who um, is, of course, one of Ian's authors. Um, And this game is called Terry Fact Check. And in it, I am going to give you a fact, and you are going to tell me whether or not this fact applies to Terry Pratchett or Neil Gaiman. Is there an option for both? There is an option for both. Ha. Nick, you hear that? Joe had a question which was going to be a trick question, yeah. which applied to both For of sure. them. Yes, and yes. We just, again, we collaborated, you and I, to flush that out into the open. It was absolutely going to be his last question, too. Look at this. All I have to do is cross <laughs> it off my list. And now uh, it's, I've done the double trick on you because now you think there's an option for both and there's no longer now, one. I'm going to guess the he triple did a triple trick on yourself yeah, because you just did a triple. <laughs> for sure. It's like the first question now. That's scene of the Princess Bride. <laughs> All right. This author wrote more than 70 books and sold more than 85 million books worldwide. Is it Pratchett? Is it Gaiman? Jeepers. Um, I have closed all Wikipedia articles, so I'm not Thank cheating you. right now. Uh, based on one of his series being 41 books long, I'm going to go ahead and say Terry Pratchett. Yeah. I'm going to say the same for the exact same reason. That's really hard logic to argue with right there. Yeah, it's 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 obviously Terry Pratchett. Yeah, when he wrote 41 books, that's just 41 books in the Discworld series. He wrote another, like, obviously 29 books besides that. Um, he was the best-selling author in England for a ton of years before uh, uh, a lady named J.K. Rowling came around and uh, blew everything out of the water forever. How many copies? 80? Uh, 85 million. That's a lot, right? Nick, if you're wondering, that's a like, lot of copies. How many of books. Harry Potter books have been sold? Uh, like, two trillion. Like there, there's six Harry Potter books for every person on the planet. If you stacked one Terry Pratchett book, if you stacked them all over England, how high would that stack be? 
Okay. How, so how, how wait, thick? No, let me, let me wait, rephrase shut up. How thick? So would 85 million copies of Terry Pratchett's work cover England itself? I'm, how could we do that math? It's very uh, J.K. Easy. Rowling has uh, sold 500 million copies of the series. Oof, that's I a guess lot more. That's a lot more that's than a lot. It's a lot more. So that's a lot of books. If that's the bar, I would say he's still coming in pretty strong. Yeah, he's doing really well. Like, it's yeah, not J.K. Rowling well, but he's, he's doing well. No. All right. Terry fact check, guys. Pratchett or Gaiman, when he was 15 years old, he started his own magazine, mostly to interview people that he admired. I'm going to say just by the rules of any game I've ever played with you guys, I'm going to go game in on this one because it's got to be the other guy now because I don't I don't know. I'm playing the game. I'm not playing the the game. You know what I mean? I'm going to say game in. Yeah, it was Neil Gaiman. Um, he did it. Good work, Partially Ian. to interview a guy named Michael Moorcock, um, a kind oh. of famous science fiction yeah. writer. Um, Wait, he, he got started Mor- a magazine j- just to just to interview Michael Moorcock, and <laughs> and when Moorcock Sorry, agreed to an interview, <laughs> his name is Michael Moorcock. Shut up, Nick. Nick, shut up. <laughs> when when Moorcock agreed Guys. to an interview, tell the rest of the story. Jeff. When Moorcock agreed to an interview, Gaiman and his friends just showed up at his house, um, like still in their school uniforms. Ah. <laughs> they're like, they're like, we're here to interview you. Nerds. He's like, wait a second. Is there a chance they just wanted the opportunity to say his last name to his face? As much I as don't possible? think so. I think they just really liked his work, Nick. Um, I've got another uh, fact check for who you. doesn't love Moorcock. We're this ready, Joe. Author. <laughs> this author was knighted for his services to literature. Nick, this question's for you only because Ian, I think, already said this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, yeah. I mean, I don't know why it would be for me. He said it in the beginning that he's a sir. So I'm going to say, Pratchett. That's true, but we, I don't, sometimes I wonder how much you listen to what we say. Oh, absolutely. It's really good to like check up on these things. Mm. So this is more of a personal test. I I do have a fun fact that follows that. He was knighted. Um, He also decided that um, a knight should have a sword. So he went to a field Mm. near his house, dug up a bunch of um, iron, right? Smelted it in his own garage and uh, had a blacksmith forge a sword for him that also included little bits of meteorite. Wow. You know, my question, that's funny that you mentioned that, Joe, because my question was going to be, do you get to keep the sword after you get knighted? Because I feel no. like you should get to keep that sword. You only get to keep it if you are brave enough to wrench it out of the queen's hands. And nobody, <laughs> nobody's that brave. So, Okay, quick follow-up question. Is it the same sword that's been knighting people for like, I don't know, like forever? This is quite off topic. Which is where um, we thrive. We'll, 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 sa- we'll save that for our upcoming theme of sword week. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good we week. need to do sword week. Yeah, a lot of round tables, I bet. Um, Okay. Well, hey, great game, Joe. Oh, I have one more. I have two more. Oh, you do? (laughs) Yeah, I actually have a bunch more, but I have have, um, two more that can segue us nicely. Um, This author, this author has won a Hugo Award. Uh, The the the, like noble, noble science fiction award that many of our previous authors have won. Um, I'm going to go gaming. No, I'm gonna go both. I think he's I'm gonna still go both slip, too. Yeah, I think he slipped it in there still. Yeah, this is a little. This is. Yeah. I can sense it. I can sense it. I can yeah, smell it. You can it. feel yeah. it. You can more. feel it. Yeah. No, more. the answer is that just Neil Gaiman has won a Hugo oh. Award. Um, <laughs> both of them have won a Carnegie Medal, which is awarded to children's books. Um, and Neil Gaiman I get those mixed up all the time. Yeah, yeah. they get a big and, corned beef sandwich. 
He also won his Hugo Award. Um, Terry Pratchett, despite having a prolific career and despite being um, like a knight, hasn't won that many literary awards. And I think we could talk about that in just a little bit. And the last thing I want to say is um, very famously, Terry Pratchett was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease um, and became an advocate for right to die legislation. He donated a whole bunch of money to Alzheimer's and became a, a vocal advocate of of this legislation late in life um he would die of alzheimer's in 2015 2015 how does one die of alzheimer's yeah is it just um, like other symptoms you get other things i think it's like a brain degenerative disease it's not just like you forget things it's like a lot of a lot of your a lot of your brain function slows and eventually that gets to vital functions there's different types of Alzheimer's. One thing that I learned this week, it, and most Alzheimer's, when we think of it, it, we think of the Alzheimer's that affects the front of the brain. It affects your memory. Terry Pratchett's memory wasn't really affected. Mm. Uh, his Alzheimer's was in the back of his brain, and it affected his object permanence. So like if you oh, set a man. glass on a table and you said, hey, Terry, can you pass me that glass? At a certain mm. point, he couldn't find it. Like he would be looking right at it and he couldn't find the glass, which means last fact Jesus. about Terry fact check. Yeah, it's it's really a ironic and horrible That's thing. In, in true, you don't know lit nature. This lighthearted game has turned extremely <laughs> grim and dark. I like how how much of a downer this game is, Joe. <laughs> well, it, it gets a little bit better. Um, at, I'd like to get into a right to die next. So <laughs> Terry did lose his ability to read eventually, and uh, therefore write as well. Uh, however, he wrote several books at the end of his life, uh, not typing them, but dictating them to his computer. Do you think they were they published? Yes, several published books at the end of his life. Um, his last Holy published shit. book was, uh, was posthumous. Uh, he also died with a whole bunch of unpublished stuff that his friend Neil Gaiman made sure her Terry Pratchett's request was run over by a steamroller and then shoved into a wood chipper so that it would never see yeah. the light of day. So after his Turned death, into a they, sword. Yeah, yeah. After his death, <laughs> they actually destroyed everything that wasn't published so that it could never be, you know, dug up. Really so, exciting guys- stuff, Joe. Way to kick this off <laughs> with a real positive note. I wasn't sure where to start, so I thought, well, hey, I'll start at the first novel of his Discworld series, The Color of Magic. Like, it seems like a big deal. It's the first novel. What the heck? I'm going to go for it. But when I first read it, I didn't really get what the big deal was, right? Like, it's funny, and it's, like, kind of a romp and, like, uh, kind of, like, slapsticky, and, like, there's a lot of, like, stuff happens. There's, like, adventures and explosions, and, like, cities burn down, and there's, like, fights to the death. Like, there's all sorts of, like, fantasy stuff. Swashbuckling. Yeah, like, swashbuckling stuff, but it's really tough to say, like, that first time, where I, like, I got to the end of it, and I said, okay, well, that was fine. Like, I dug it, but why is this so famous? Like, like, why Mm. is this such a big deal? One of the things that's obvious is that like any one book can be good and can be fun, but the people that really love Pratchett really talk about like this huge universe that he created that they like to hang out in, that they like to follow certain characters of. Um, Through all these 41 books, characters 
repeat themselves, right? Like like the same characters keep popping up and over and over and over again. You lots have certain books that, yeah, oh my God, lots of callbacks. You have books that just follow the guards. You have books that just follow the witches. You have books that just follow the gods, right? And like between them all, they kind of cross over. They pop up in each other's books. They intermingle. How digestible are these books? Are these like novels? Like are these each pretty lengthy or are they pretty kind of these like quick burn digestible, you know, installments? They're super, super digestible. They tend to be really short. They tend to be like really dialogue heavy. This specific book that I read is split into actually four different stories. Um, And each one is kind of self-contained. They have the same characters, they exist in the same world, but they're kind of these miniature little arcs that happen throughout. So to answer your question, Nick, they're extremely digestible. Uh, Joe, what's your book about? In Discworld, in this like large city of Discworld, a tourist shows up. And he's a tourist just like we would imagine him. Um, He's wearing like a Hawaiian shirt. He has spectacles. He has a camera around his neck and he's dragging around. Well, not exactly, but he has his luggage with him. And he is the first tourist to ever arrive on Discworld. Does he have a fanny pack? I mean, like metaphorically, I would say. Right. Um, yeah. Um. He is incredibly wealthy by Discworld standards. He like overpays for all these services and like as a result attracts all sorts of unsavory characters who want to show him around and who want to be his guide in Discworld. Are there, Joe, are there huge scare quotes around the words show him around and guide? Yeah. Oh, the biggest scare quotes. Like most of them want to like stab him and rob him. Like I said, there's four stories. Um, In the first one, it leads to like a, the the tourist selling a tavern owner uh insurance <laughs> selling him dwelling insurance which the tavern owner thinks is a pretty good idea and then immediately burns down his own tavern to uh collect the insurance in the second one there's like a fight with these dragon people uh and it's it's just like stuff like that nick joe would you say this book is hard to talk about <laughs> <laughs> well Nick, it's so hard to talk about that I think I might almost be finished talking about it. Like, I don't know how much of substance I can say. If there's one movie or movie franchise that you could mm. compare this to, this what would awesome, it be and why? That's an amazing question. Oh, Nick, my God. take all question point and a half. Thank you, Ian. I will take that. Is this, I could throw, is this- is No, no, this no. Like hey, Nick, Wars? don't help no, me. No, 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 no. I got it. I got it. He's Nick. got it, folks. I want to make a case for this being most similar to Ted Lasso. Have you seen Ted Lasso? <laughs> okay. The soccer series. The, the soccer series. Okay. Okay. Why don't you explain what Ted Lasso is before you make a case on why it's like Ted Lasso rather than a case for this book being great? Perfect. Okay. Ted Lasso. Lidheads. If you haven't seen Ted Lasso, uh, there is very little television that I would recommend more. More. Uh, Ted Lasso is a series in which a American college football coach goes to England to take over a soccer team. Uh, it's something like 10 episodes long. It sounds very stupid. I think it's based on a commercial from the early yep. 2010s. Um, yep. And it is the most heartwarming, funniest show I've seen in years. Like I think for quality television, it's up there with like Mrs. Maisel. Like I'm not sure which one is is better. When you watch a comedy, 
it's very easy to say like, oh, well, I, I'm just here for the laughs, right? Like I'm just here to, to. That's what I say every time I watch a comedy. I'm just here for the laughs. Mm-hmm. Really good comedies though, kind of sucker punch you, right? And they make you feel something, right? Like they're about something bigger than the comedy itself. And I think Ted Lasso is just brilliant at that, right? Like every character has its own little story arc. Um, it's incredibly heartwarming uh, and it's, it's lovely. You can't help but fall in love with all of these characters. Terry Pratchett has a quote where he says, people always think that for a book to be about something or for a movie to be about something, it has to be serious, right? They think that seriousness is the opposite of funny. He says, but it's not. The opposite of funny is not funny. Something can be (laughs) very funny, but also very serious. And I think that's like the line that tons of Terry Pratchett walks, right? Like it's very funny. Like there are, there's 20 jokes a page sometimes, right? Like it's just so, so, so like in your face, kind of slapsticky. Wall to like, wall laughs. Wall to wall say, laughs. We might say Terry funny instead of very <laughs> funny. Okay. I thought you were going to say page to page laughs. Right. No, yeah. I wasn't going to say that. That's not the kind of thing I would say. Oh, I, well, how about gutter to gutter laughs? Oh, margin to margin. Margin to margin. That's what we're looking for. Yeah, because there there's two margins on each page. That's good. a good job, Joe. Um, so this is like a... Um, a uh, a series based on a, a commercial. It's a downer. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! This book, uh, this book is very. This funny. book is almost as good as Mrs. Maisel. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can I break you off one little sample of this, to, and and then I don't want to say anything else about this. I would absolutely love that, Joe. All right. Um. When we talk about something like the richness of these stories, Terry Pratchett books are funny, but they're also about something. And when you read a bunch of these, you start to realize like he has this parallel world in Discworld that mm, satirizes a lot of the same things that we have in our world, right? Like he satirizes, you know, government, he satirizes bureaucracy, he satirizes, uh, not satirizes, but like he talks about like relationships and things like that. Uh, this is actually from a, di- a quote from a different book. Uh, and he says, it's a conversation between two characters. And one says, humans need fantasy to be human, to be the place where the falling angel meets the rising ape. What, tooth fairies, hog fathers, little? Yes, as practice, you have to start out learning to believe the little lies so we can believe the big ones. Yeah, things like justice, mercy, duty, that sort of thing. They're not the same. They're not the same at all. You think so? Then take the universe and grind it down to the finest powder and sieve it through the finest sieve and then show me one atom of justice, one molecule of mercy, and yet you act as if there's some rightness to the universe by which it might be judged. Well, yes, but people have got to believe that or what's the point? My point exactly. So he writes these funny books that are about things like, I don't know, like like belief and rightness and justice, which is kind of a neat trick, right? Like it's, it's kind of an impressive little like judo or, or, uh, judo. That's not a word. Judo and judo. No, I, I think I just, I think you were th- yeah, looking for a different word. Yeah. I think I was looking for judo or like sleight yeah. of hand. And I think that's yeah. like what I loved most about not just this book, the color of magic by Terry Pratchett, but like this series as well, the Discworld series. 
two points in response to that. First of all, judo and sleight of hand are nothing alike. And I just want to make that clear <laughs> to our listeners yeah. that we know that. Um, mm-hmm. The second point is I think Joe's really right. There's a real skill to being funny about things that we don't think of as funny. You know, like... Like Alzheimer's. Well, well for example. I think it's a lot harder to make stuff like the post office or um, fate funny. <laughs> yeah, or death. Know? Or death, or death, yeah, right? Like, death is a huge character in this series, and he also showed up, shows up in my book. And death is cool and formidable, but also kind of funny. Nick, do you want us to keep telling you how funny this was? Um, so I know we do, um, a lot of happy books. Yeah. Um, I mean, this week is, is a classic example. Yeah. And, and the world is just full of happy things. So I'm thinking we could flip it maybe. And maybe you guys can bring, um, books that make you really sad. Books that make you cry. Ooh. Ooh. Cry book. Cry books. There are a lot of books I could say that have made me cry from boredom. Right. Mm, or well, made me cry because like I was in college and I had like a big essay due and I had like 500 pages to read in this book yet. Well, maybe I just pick the themes, you know, and I don't I don't get into the de- the, the the details, you know, I love this theme. I'm excited to talk about my book is uh, an old one, an old one. Uh, the Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens is a very old book. That's, it makes that's me an cry. old book. I have a brand new book, basically, yeah. in the world of books. Yeah. Um, I, I remember when I read this book, it not only made me cry, it made me think everybody I know needs to read this book. My God. Um, it is called Being Mortal. It's by Atul Gawande, and it's a book about death and what matters in the end. It's going to be a real downer next week, guys. Oh, great. Maybe you guys should uh, pick fun ways to tell me about these books so we don't <laughs> to, actually to, all cry. To be clear, my book is not a downer. My book is an amazing piece of literature that's not like, you're not crying because you're like, well, crud, I guess we're all dying. Takes place in Minneapolis, correct? Yes, Twin Cities. <sighs> no, uh, it takes yeah. place, uh, that was a missed opportunity. It's actually Urbana-Champaign in Illinois, so much less cool than the Twin Cities. Mm, Got it. The little twins. Little <laughs> twins, So they call them. My book takes place in every person's heart. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) When their loved ones die. (laughs) Great. Uh, Pratchett wrote Color of Magic in 1983. He was was an active uh, fantasy author, um, and Gaiman was kind of just starting to hit his stride when Good Omens was published um, in 19... 90. So um, it's kind of this like... not common. Collaboration what, like this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a little bit interesting, especially like now, yeah. because Neil Gaiman is like a huge name in fantasy and, and speculative fiction, and Pratchett has like this enduring legacy. So like the fact that these two, it's like a super group, it's like a rock super group, but before, like they were a super group for one book, for one album, and then they went their separate ways and each became superstars in their own right. So, well, and I'd also like to point out that when they wrote this together, it's not like they could have a shared Google Doc where they just like kept editing it. Like, yeah. I think they talked on the phone every day and like faxed copies to each other and things like that. It, it had to be arduous. Do you have any tips for us, Ian, on co writing? Did they do what we're going to do, which is just each one of us will just take a chapter? 
Um, I I don't actually know. I don't believe they did that because that seems like um, it seems like you would very clearly be able to tell whether what are the Gaiman chapters and what are the Pratchett chapters. Um, it's amazing. This book really feels like very Gaiman-y and very Pratchetty. Um, and and it's really like a kind of an alchemy. It's an amazing alchemy. Um, I they talk about um, they so so this is this was my kind of my last point, but I'll get to it first, I guess. Um, they the there's a second season of the TV show coming out. Um, um, it was made into a TV show. We'll talk about that in a minute. But there's a second season, and the first season covered the entire book of Good Omens, and so naturally fans are like. So what are you going to base the second season on? Because you you literally run <laughs> out of book. And this so is the challenge. Right, there's no sequel to the book. Uh Terry Pratchett has passed away. Um and all of his all his old stuff has been bulldozed and destroyed. Uh according to Neil Gaiman, when he announced this when he announced this news on his blog, he kind of tells the story how he and Pratchett were in Seattle um, at a, at a convention and they were like both, they were, they were jet lagged and they were like, they couldn't sleep. And so they lay on their beds in their shared hotel room and talked for hours about what a sequel to good omens would look like. And they're like, yeah, we're going to write this. We're going to, you know, we're going to go, we're going to go make, make this when we've got a couple of months set aside, we'll just go ahead and write this book. Um, and then as, as Gaiman puts it, um, Discworld became Discworld TM and, uh, Gaiman's Sandman book, just absolutely took off in the 90s and they never were able to collaborate on the the sequel but um Gaiman and Pratchett talked about like if we ever did a a show would we do a sequel would we do would we would we play out the sequel stuff and they 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 decided they should so I have a question for you Ian okay and it could possibly be just nothing great um I'm looking at the cover of the book yeah and intermixed in this google search is the cover of the show yeah which they have covers now and (laughs) so in the original it looks like terry pratchett pratchett terry pratchett has top billing Mm -hmm. it's written by terry pratchett and neil gaiman but since uh-huh. Terry has died, uh-huh. Neil has somehow taken yeah. up top oh, billing yeah. in the show. Surper. And I'm just wondering, um, what gives him the right? Well, part of it is being alive. Yeah, you, oh, you did. You did cotton onto that pretty fast. No, I think that's a. I, I didn't. I didn't notice that, but that's a really good observation, Nick. And I think, I think probably at the time, did maybe Neil take Terry's sword and stab him in the back, and that's how he really died. Wow. <laughs> no, I do wow. not. I do not believe that's what happened. Um, okay. I, I, I don't believe there was any backstabbing involved. I think. I think it's a simple marketing, a simple marketing ploy. But it's mm. interesting to demonstrate, kind of like. You know, when we, when we, um, when, when we started talking about Terry Pratchett, Nick, you couldn't even pronounce his name. Like he's not a household name. Right. And I wouldn't say Neil Gaiman is a household name, but he's much closer to household name status than Pratchett. Yeah. I've heard it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that's I a, agree. that's a really interesting, uh, discovery. Um, it's really cool that Gaiman is, was friends with Pratchett and, and he's friends with the executor of the estate. And so Gaiman is very committed to making sure sort of Pratchett's wishes are honored um yeah i'm teasing of course i mean i'm sure we can blame this all on lawyers i mean lawyers do stab people in the back all the time that's part of the job description i'm excited i didn't put it together that this was a show but you're right this is a show um not that it's a show i've watched but what what is this book about okay we can start with the with the tropes with the conventions i think when (sighs) 
when you do, when you read an apocalypse book, especially sort of like this, this revelations style Armageddon style apocalypse, like you're going to hit certain beats, you know, there'll be supernatural stuff. Um, God and Satan might not show up, but they'll be strongly suggested. There will definitely be angels and demons. Um, there's going to be probably like the son of the son of Satan, the spawn of Satan, the antichrist, there will be locusts and plagues and things. It's it's like, it's the playbook. It's very, very conventional. Yeah. Like, I mean, there've been so many, so many, there's a TV show right now, which I don't, I haven't watched, but I know it's kind of playing with stuff like this and, and it's called Lucifer and Lucifer is like there. It's a great example of there are just conventions. There are just tropes. Um, And this book, acknowledges that it doesn't try to reinvent the wheel but i think if it was written by anybody but pratchett and gaiman it would fail miserably but pratchett and gaiman have a great way of taking the conventions and making them ironic i mean here we go again funny yeah well like tongue-in-cheek it's a little bit of like a wink and a nod or a nudge yeah right it doesn't take itself it doesn't take itself too seriously i mean the character's the characters are kind of tropes. So you've got the demon and he is good looking and he hisses and he likes rock and roll. Um, you've got the angel who is, um, he, he runs an old bookstore and he gets easily flustered. Um, death, the angel of death is around and he talks in all caps and he says things like, if Armageddon is anywhere, it is everywhere. And it's just all very sort of conventional tropic, but Gaiman and Pratchett do such a good job of making this, like snarky it's like yeah we we know you've seen this just just bear with us we're going in an unexpected direction and they do so that's cool i feel like we're a little bit in the abstract can we maybe just start off with the plot um just to give us a little context yeah so the plot the plot basically follows um the, the spawn of Satan is set loose on the world and due <laughs> okay. to some due to some mistakes when the there were there were, he's brought to the world as a baby and due to some mistakes with the switch um, he ends up in the wrong place and he gets to grow up not being influenced by good or evil but just sort of like in an idyllic English countryside and then is he Hercules which which like mm. let's start out by saying that's a really funny premise. Like, just stuff like that. I think that's a good example of, like, the stuff that, like, Pratchett and Gaiman both do so well, which is, like, yeah. what if there was the Antichrist, but he was just raised like a hobbit? <laughs> yeah, basically. Basically. And raised raised to love his, like, his life, love his surroundings. He's got these these three close friends, and they're kind of like a Stranger Things-type gang of kids. Um and 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 he sort of he he grows up very human. He doesn't grow up like influenced by all kinds of, you know, materialism or or, you know, it's just it's very much sort of a fish out of water in that regard. And then he ends up like then it's time for the apocalypse and there are all these prophecies. And it turns out that when it comes to the final showdown, he is not as satanic as people expected. The big draw of this book is um, not the antichrist who doesn't know he's the antichrist and is raised like a hobbit i think the big draw is the aforementioned angel and demon who are best friends and um they are this amazing 
kind of they're evenly matched. They're they're supposed they've both been on they've been on Earth since the Garden of Eden. They're supposed to the the demon was actually the snake that tempted Eve, and the angel was the angel who was supposed to cast them out. They're supposed to like kind of do angel and demon stuff on the earth, and they've realized they are just at cross purposes. So they they've stopped kind of fighting each other, and they're just good friends. And they go out for dinner together, and they like kind of try and thwart each other, but not really. They have this sort of I guess you could maybe say frenemy, but strong emphasis on the friend part of it. Um, and the big thing is both the angel and the demon have, um, um, they have kind of gone human sort of, it seems like there's just a ton of overt, uh, lessons here. Tell us about the secret learning. Is this all biblical? Yeah. I don't know. I, I think, okay. I think, I think Gaiman and Pratchett are staunch humanists. So... They believe that people are people. People aren't fundamentally good or fundamentally bad. And they believe that sort of humanity is its own greatest enemy. And it's also its own greatest sort of ally, I guess. And this book is really like, wow, people are complicated and wonderful. People change. Um, People have free will people can like do what they want i mean the the antichrist is able to resist um some of the temptation that he ends up in because he's a human he's been raised as a human like the two main characters um the angel and the demon they they're like they keep going on about how great it is to be human and how much they like love humanity it's so i guess it's not really a secret learning it's very much like this has a lot of sort of judeo-christian trappings but it's really a, a book about, boy, people are great and also horrifying. Is it like we're good on our own? Like we could we could solve this if we really wanted? Is that the type of uh, message? K- kind of, kind of, but also yeah. like we screw our own stuff up. It's almost like right. it's almost like at the end of the day, the 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 sort of supernatural intervention from both sides, from from the side of heaven and the side of hell it sort of cancels itself out and the real strife is in the human heart. And it's like people are just, people are incredible and people are also at the same time as being incredible, incredible, the, 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 the total worst. And it's, um, <laughs> I don't like this phrase. It's such a cliche, but this book is an homage to the human spirit. It's like, mm, man, yeah, it is gross. Yeah. yeah. Really gross. Really bad. <laughs> Crazy. Really hated, hated that. Yeah. I think I saw this explained like the idea that you're getting at and stop me if I'm, if I'm wrong here, but I think I saw this explained somewhere as, as Terry Pratchett or Neil Gaiman saying like, look, people are flawed and like humanity is flawed and they're going to screw things up and they're screwing things up absolutely all the time. But that doesn't mean they're hopeless. Like, like a lot of that flawed, like is like, like there's still a lot of beauty in that flawed state. Like they strive to get better. And like, even though, yeah, even, even though humanity like kind of sucks at times, like individuals or pockets of humanity can still be awesome. And that's really cool. Right. And, and even people who kind of people who previously had been dreadful can, can become wonderful so there's a there's a great character um uh he was played on the show by i'm gonna forget his name now michael Mm -hmm. more 
Not Michael Lewis. Moore. Um, he was the Jackson. Um, he was Tyson. on Michael McLean uh, from mm. from Better Call Saul, and this is Spinal Tap. Um, he he is this really nasty. Like he he lives on a diet of. Uh, sweet tea and condensed milk and cigarettes. He's like opportunistic and greedy and he really like doesn't, he's like mistrustful of women and he's like just the worst and he's very much comic relief. But you, you go throughout and you're like, this guy is gross. And not only does he get a happy ending, but he gets a redemption arc. And it's just like the book is not mean spirited at all. Um, but it's a blast. It's also really funny. I, I'm, I'm, it, I'm kind of selling it like it's this, you know, deep thinker, emotionally powerful, but it's really, really funny. So yeah, what? So uh, yeah, but give me the day to day. Is this like, uh, like oh, like Hercules, and he has to like uh, build a fence, and he does it in like ten seconds because he's Hercules, and isn't that cool? Like, is it like that? No. Or is it more like we're hyper intelligent and it actually the the focus is like on all the other characters that are human? Um, no, I would say, okay, I would say that the, the, the vibe is understated and dry. Um, so, (laughs) so, so things like, things like uh, towards the end of the book, um, Satan himself decides to come up to earth and of course something happens. Um, and that what happens isn't like they don't go into depth with like an epic battle with swords and such, because that's not the point of the book. The point of the book is the human relationships. It, it just, it's, it's understated. It doesn't, it doesn't browbeat you with stuff. It's also really, okay. I think this book is written under the influence of modern film and TV. And what I mean by that is it could, it's, it's not quite like reading a script, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like Yeah, that. you can kind of see it. Like yeah. when you read it, you can kind of see it. The scenes are generally pretty short. Characters show up in ways that like clearly establish them pretty quickly. Um, physical descriptions, setting descriptions are very clear and very like um, unique. Uh, there are a lot of callbacks. It's kind of like this is a book which just begs for a TV show to be made out of it. And it's not surprising that it was such a successful TV show because it really it's it's got it moves it moves and it's it's got wit but not it's not goofy and um, there's there's a really nice rhythm to it. Just before you're gonna forget about a character, they come back in, uh, or just when you feel like a plot line is kind of oh we've been away from that from that one for a while. Guess what? We're gonna go back to that plot line. So I, I guess I'm the only one of us three that's seen the show. Uh, and I actually watched yes. the show before I read the book. Oh. And that's a risk. That's always a risky proposition. But yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's crazy. It is a shockingly good adaptation. Like now, now back, back when I was doing the PhD, there was a while where I was going to focus on adaptation as a, um, as a, as a, kind of approach uh, a method for intertextuality a way that texts can inter- interact with each other a way we interact with text based by adapting them so i I've, I've read and i've consumed a lot of adaptations this may be one of the best adaptations from book to screen that i've ever seen um a lot of times books are able to do things that tv can't do or doesn't do and there are a few of these things in the book but for the most part there is this really strong connection between the book and the show and the, you know when you when you when you see 
when you see something, you see like a, a, a filmed version of something, and you read the book, you're like, oh, they left that out. They left that. Where's, oh, this character, where's Tom Bombadil? But the book... <laughs> where's the 10-minute long song? Doesn't have a huge <laughs> amount that, that the show cuts out. Like, Neil Gaiman was heavily involved with the show, and you can see it. He was a showrunner for the show, and you can see it. And honestly, you guys, this week, I'm going to break the the form a little bit, and I'm going to recommend either Good Omens the show or Good Omens the book. Because wow. functionally, I mean, obviously they're different, but functionally, if you watch the six, seven episode miniseries, you will get as good a sense of this story and these characters yep. as you will if you read the book. And, well, and the humor, like it, you know, like oh we my goodness, about the I think it might even be better. <laughs> I think it, it might even work better on screen because like intonation and thing like, so in the, in the book, um, the, the angel and the demon are not particular. They're not really like funny, funny. They're not the focus of the humor. A lot of the stuff is like stuff that happens to them and so on. Um, they kind of carry more of the emotional weight of the plot, but in the show, they kind of come into their own as also hilarious in, in particular moments. And I think that the show, allows for a dimensionality that the book I, I feel so weird saying this but I really think the show is almost yeah, as good as highly the book. Un, highly irregular I know but you know what mm. I'm I'm in favor oh and there's a second season so that's exciting too you should watch the second season when it comes out you should watch the first season you should binge it and then you should binge Ted Lasso and then you should yes watch the second season and then yeah. you should binge all 41 books in the Discworld series <laughs> oh gracious Before I announce the winner, I have um, uh, another announcement. Oh, boy. Um, oh, I think boy. moving moving forward, um, I know you guys prepare diligently. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to find a way that uh, um, Joe, mm-hmm. um, who does tear up his notes after right. every episode, mm-hmm. um, to maybe extend that a little bit further. And, and moving forward, our, our loser every week can um, share their quote on our social media. Oh, um, sure. Yeah, I like that. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I like that. I thought you were heading towards like some like further humiliation. You're like, yeah. I thought it was going to be like, instead of tearing up your notes every week, you also have to run naked around the house until the neighbors call the cops. No, wow. No, part, no. Well, that's the rules. That's just the rules. <laughs> Yeah, no, well, this does bring me to my second piece of news, which is, uh, Joe, please don't tear up your notes, but you did lose this week. Oh, um, dang. Uh, Ian, your book sounds um, significantly more interesting than <laughs> Joe's book. Yeah. Um, on, yeah. On, uh, so, um, Joe, save that quote, and we'll mm-hmm. share it on our social medias. Litheads, if you want to help the show, if you enjoy what we do here, the number one way to help us out is to suggest a theme, suggest a book on our uh, website. That is going to be youdon'tknowlitpodcast.com. Uh, we do read all of your suggestions in the fact that we read what you write. And then we read many of your books, and we also um, really appreciate help with themes because... God knows we need it. Um, also, Litheads, uh, if you want to help out, you can leave a review on your podcast player of choice. Congratulations, Dr. DeYoung. Thank you. And congratulations, Terry Pratchett. RIP. Yeah. And Ted Lasso. Uh, 
Ted Lasso. Yeah, and honestly, yeah, Jason Sudeikis, you made a commercial become uh, a well-respected comedy drama show. Well done. So my quote, um, this is a quote from, I don't know, it's just a part of the book. Um, the the <laughs> devil character. The, I, I'm not, I don't need to set it up. It doesn't, it does, that doesn't matter. Yeah, the whatever. devil character. It's just, it's just part the of goblins book. and ghouls, folks. The, the devil character's name is Crowley. And this is a, this is a great name because um, he initially is named Crowley, C-R-A-W-L-Y, because he was a snake. He was a snake in the garden and he was named Crowley. And then he kind of grew up and he was like, I'm going to name myself Crowley. And um, that's got occult significance because of uh, Alistair Crowley. Anyway, that's his name. Here's the quote. Crowley had always known that he would be around when the world ended because he was immortal and wouldn't have any alternative. But he hoped it was a long way off because he rather liked people. It was a major failing in a demon. Oh, he did his best to make their short lives miserable because that was his job. But nothing he could think up was half as bad as the stuff they thought up themselves. They seemed to have a talent for it. It was built into the design somehow. They were born into a world that was against them in a thousand little ways, and then devoted most of their energies to making it worse. Over the years, Crowley had found it increasingly difficult to find anything demonic to do, which showed up against the natural background of generalized nastiness. There had been times over the past millennium when it felt like sending a message back below saying, look, we may as well give up right now. We might as well shut down Dis and Pandemonium and everywhere and move up here. There's nothing we can do to them that they don't do to themselves, and they do things we've never even thought of, often involving electrodes. <laughs> They've got what we lack. They've got imagination and electricity, of course. One of them had written it, hadn't he? Hell is empty and all the devils are here.